Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Side Hustles and Stuff podcast, episode eight. My name is Yuri, and I'm joined by Keishi. How are you today? I'm doing pretty good. I have my black tea. What are you drinking today? Yeah, I've got Coke, orange, vanilla. I, I, I don't drink soda much these days, but I saw it on the shelf in the supermarket, and I had to try it. Wait. And then I just have plain water. Say that again? Coke, orange, vanilla? Yeah. Coke, orange, vanilla. It's, it's, it's surprisingly good, actually. Okay. It's, uh, it's like three different things in one, Coke, orange, and vanilla. Yeah. It, it, it was worth buying it and trying it. That's the, that's the one thing I love about Japanese uh, snacks and drinks. There's always something new and crazy to try. Yeah, I know. But, but the thing that I hate is that it's always like a limited edition. And in Japan, when they mean limited edition, they do mean limited edition. And once the time to cut the product comes, they just it, it just gets off the shelves and Nobody ever sees it again, even if it was like the most popular thing yeah. ever. And, and I'm always sad when things that I liked, but that were limited time only disappear. It's like Sakura or, or uh, what are they called? Cicadas. They're only around for a limited amount of time, then they're gone. Yeah, exactly. So what are we talking about today? So I think t- today we're talking about how to get people to care about your side hustle, right? And I, th- I think we'll be covering it from a bunch of different angles. Yeah. And getting people to care is uh, probably one of the most important parts of having a side hustle, whether you're just starting, you want to start, or you are in the midst of doing your own project. Don't you think, Keishi? Yeah, I think so. I mean, unless you have people care about whatever it is that you're doing, then what's, what's the point? Especially if you're doing it as a business and not as a hobby. Yeah. Because as a business, you need customers. Customers are the people that essentially would buy your products. The money that you get, you use that to pay your bills and continue growing the business. Or it could be advice. It could be mentorship. It could be someone to bounce ideas off of. But at the same time, you know, it's uh, very hard to make people care. Yeah. And I, I think just to take a step back, I, I think a lot of people, when they think about an online business, like a blog or like a YouTube channel or or like a podcast, but especially blog and things like that where you're kind of hiding behind the screen. I, I think a lot of people think that there's no other people involved. And um, I think you can definitely do the thing as kind of a lone wolf and just do it yourself and never talk to anyone and never get out of your, your den and um, just build the blog and succeed. You can probably do that, but um, I, I think if you interact with people along the way, whether it's with your readers or whether it's with your friends that might be doing similar things or whether just reading stuff on the internet, that was written by other people and interact, interacting with them in that way, I, I think it can kind of speed up your process. Yeah. And uh, not just blogs, you know, if we think about other media like YouTube or podcasts like ours, so business relies on customers and media relies on viewers, readers, fans, subscribers, and much more. And the more you have, the more essentially scale you can have. If you have a $10 product and you have one customer, that's, you know, essentially $10 to you. If, if you have that same $10 product and you have 100 customers, it's 100 bucks now. So Yeah, exactly. The, the more that people care about you or your products, the more successful your side hustle is going to yeah. be. But caring is the million dollar question. And it's not an easy topic to uh, address because this is why entire marketing departments exist in every single company on the planet Earth. It's very hard to make people care, which is why we're going to address it today. So, um... Keishi, I think since we're talking about this from a side hustle perspective, we're not really going to be talking about, you know, corporate marketing departments who are looking to make people care. But we're more so talking about the people that want to start a side hustle 
or they already have one going, but they want to have more eyeballs on their work. Yeah, I, I think so. And um, I, I think largely we will be talking about content businesses, but um, I, I think what, we're, what we will be talking about applies to, to um, a lot of different types of businesses as well. Yeah. So for a fresh side hustler, you know, what's a fresh side hustler to do? Let's say they start a blog, they, they start a um, vlog, a YouTube channel, and how do they build up their audience? This is just my opinion. We all tend to look at our network, our friends, family, our social network, see who we have friends there and we'll promote their stuff. Kind of like we do with the podcast, right? Yeah, I think that's a good um, starting point because one, you, you can get some feedback, although if you send it to your mom, probably she'll just say, oh, how amazing it is without giving any critique. I love <laughs> but, if, but if you send it to your wider, wider, wider circle of friends and um, acquaintances, I think it can be a great, um, great starting point. Because the thing is, usually if you build the first version of something, and I think it's the same with some of our podcast episodes, and we still have a long way to go. And um, I think if we look at blogs that we're building and things like that, the beginnings are usually rough. And the, and the product that you put out in the beginning is usually good enough, but there's probably a lot of ways that it can be easily improved by, by, a, by a long way. And I think that's where just having your friends or having people you know be your first customers, be your first viewers, subscribers can be really helpful in getting that feedback and also with getting comfortable yeah. with doing actually what it is that you're doing, knowing that somebody is listening, but also knowing that it's people that um, you know personally. Yeah. So if you're a side hustler, if you're a new side hustler, definitely first post it out to your immediate network. But the big question is, and one that we also ask ourselves is how to get your friends to care about your own side project or side hustle. Yeah, well, so what, what do you exactly mean by um, how to get people to care? Well, to care meaning they're subscribed, to put it bluntly. <clears throat> they're either subscribed, they're listening, maybe they're watching your YouTube videos and they've subscribed, maybe they're listening to your podcast and they've subscribed. Or in the case of a business, maybe they placed you know that first order that will help you get off the ground. Or if you're a musician, they're coming to your live shows if you're an artist, they probably uh, follow your art Instagram page and maybe they bought a painting or a shirt of yours. So things like that. Yeah, I think it's an interesting question because I guess um, like to, to get to get your friends to listen for the first time, it's probably really easy. You just send them a link and they will listen. Yeah. But then again, I think the question then is how do you actually get them to stick? And then I, I think once you're talking about somebody sticking with, you, with what you're producing, there's really very, very little difference between having your friends care and having people that you have no idea who they are care. Yeah. Cause then it comes down to just what you're putting out. And I, I, actually I, I was, um, I saw something, I, I saw a video about, um, you know, a lot of people are following um, African-American artists and business owners and things like that on YouTube and um, on other platforms. It's kind of part of the black lives matter movement right now, as I'm sure, you, as I'm sure you know. And the interesting thing that I heard is that um if somebody subscribes to, that's great. But then if somebody subscribes to, and then they never listen to any of your podcasts or they never watch any of your videos, then actually in terms of the YouTube algorithm, that's probably bad for you because it seems like you have a lot of subscribers, but very little engagement. Mm. So, so I, I think it's important to kind of not just care about getting somebody to care about what you're doing for the first time and then just stop there. Yeah. But it's more about kind of, again, just going back to how do you get people to, actually stay with what you're doing and keep following yeah. you. I think the same applies with email. 
Uh, I know Gmail algorithm works in a similar fashion that if a lot of uh, email subscribers engage with your email, then Gmail will probably open it up to everyone else. But if you have a lot of email subscribers on your list, but a lot of them are not engaging with your email, then it's more likely to go into the promotions tab or into junk because Gmail notices that here's a wide variety of people that aren't exactly engaging. But to go off of that, um, I'm of the opinion that you should definitely let your friends know what you're working on, but you should have no expectations. Because the way I see it is um, in, in the case of side projects and side hustles, no one will ever care about something as much as you care about your stuff. You know, it's, it's your baby, right? Yeah. So, you know, if an artist's friend is putting out art and they're wondering, you know, all right, your friends have liked the first five pictures that you posted up, but they've kind of fell off. It's uh, in a way it's understandable because, well, Casey, like in marketing, we have this number one rule, not in marketing, but in copywriting that I applied, that I use all the time. And the rule to keep in mind is when I'm writing copy is no one cares about you. They care about themselves. So when I write copy, I never say we, our, us, us. This is about us. We always say you, you, you. So to build off of that point, if you, if you keep that kind of in mind, then, you know, it's again, it's almost understandable that people are much more concerned with themselves and you can't really fault them for it. So. I guess my my point is like you should definitely let your friends know, but don't expect much because you know everyone has their own interests. Like in our case, we're doing a podcast about side hustles. I know some people are interested in side hustles. Many people are not. I know some people are interested in hearing how to start one, but maybe they won't start one, and then they'll catch some other interest, and they're no longer interested in listening to a podcast yeah. about side yeah. hustles. So it's you just you can't really place that on a human being because you know. We are, again, we all have our own interests and our own babies, per se. Yeah, and again, I think uh, friends are a good place to start. But obviously, if you're creating whatever, if you're creating a clothing line for runners and you only have friends that hate running, then of course, friends shouldn't be your first go-to audience and or, or you shouldn't even expect them or you shouldn't even care about having them care about what you're doing. So, so I think in the end, it comes down to just matching what it is that you're doing and what it is that... Um, your friends are interested in, I guess. And, and I, think, I think it's always easier with content because you can kind of create content and create blog about dogs and you send it to a person that doesn't care about dogs yeah. but is your friend. Then I yeah. think the easiest thing they can do is just click on it and kind of skim through it and close it and never look at the site again. Yeah. So, so if, I think the hurdle there is kind of low. Whereas if you're talking about like a physical product, like the running shoes, let's say again, then of course you have a much harder hurdle to clear if you're asking your friends for money in exchange for what it is that you're making. Because then there really needs to be a match between what is it that they want and what it is that you are offering. You mentioned, uh, you know, sending a friend an article about, you know, let's say you write an article about dogs and they're not really interested in dogs or learning about them and they'll just skim through it and close it. I can sense that mm, the more creative people will be a little bit put off or hurt that, you know, that their friend does not support their viewer vision. Uh, this is just I'm thinking out loud right now. Yeah, I, I think some people will be hurt, but if, if if you're hurt by this, then I'm, I'm sorry, but just get your act together and e- either create what your friends want. If if um, making your friend care about what you're doing is important to, or if if you're smart, you're just gonna 
not care about the fact that your friends have friends have different interests and you're just going to look for an audience that will actually be interested in the stuff that you're doing. Yeah. And that's the, the, the latter part that you said. That's the point that I kind of want to drive because, again, we all have our own interests and we simply can't be, you know, matched toe to toe, step by step with everything that our friends like. So to that extent, you shouldn't, uh, you know, worry too much that your friend skims through it. It's just a fact. Again, it's just a matter of life. You probably don't care about some things that they're interested in and vice versa. I think it's very rare for um, interests to match up so well. Uh, have you ever heard of The Lonely Island by any chance? It's a kind of a comedy music no, group. What, what is that? Well, if you have ever watched Saturday Night Live SNL um, or if you know like this is good. I'm going to keep it still kids friendly, but they put out some fun, fun songs like something, something in a box or I just had uh, look it up. Basically, the Lonely Island is um three people, including the more famous one is Andy Samberg. He's now on the show Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And then I think there's Yorma and Akiv, basically three guys that uh, stuck quite a while. I, I think they've been friends. They started making comedy videos and they just stuck with it for quite a while. And I like to think of them as like one of the rare exception where, you know, the friends interests align so much in tandem that they're able to stick with it and go through with it. Yeah, I, I think th that's interesting because I think sometimes you just have a bunch of friends that um that go on to form like a music band together, like you were just mentioning, or like a business or something. And I think other, other times you have things happen the other way where it's like people become business partners or people become customers of each other or something. And then the friendship develops from there. So, so I think people are kind of um, generally tend to find people with similar interests. Yeah. But, but then there's also, of course, the friends that don't have similar interests, but they're still friends because like you knew them for 20 years or something and, and you enjoy hanging out with yeah. them. But then trying to force those to be interested in your uh, dog blog is, just, just doesn't make sense, right? Yeah. I, I mean, you can, of course, mention it and you can like chat about it and things like that, but 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 being sad because they don't subscribe to you or whatever, that, that just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. So guys, if you are not getting much support from your friends, don't don't really worry too much about it. Um, they sure I'm sure they love you, but more importantly, if you do want to get that side hustle off the ground, you should probably surround yourself and attract a different kind of client base because your friends aren't going to be the ones that help your um, side hustle grow unless they're very much into the dog blog where they want to make comedy videos and sing songs. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think one case worth kind of separating out here, I think, is that um, is if your friends are telling you that what you're doing is insane or what you're doing is nuts or doesn't make sense or you shouldn't be doing this, um, do, do you think you should listen in that case? Or? It depends. <laughs> <laughs> like, 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 let's say I send my friend a link to my blog about dogs yeah. to stay on the topic <laughs> And and they say, oh, you're crazy. You're just you're you're just wasting your time. You should stop this. Then what would be your advice to me? What should I do? Well, in the case of dog blogs, because you know you can substitute dog blog for something else, <laughs> and at that point you should probably stop it, like for something more terrible, right? In the case of dog blogs, it's like I don't know. At that point, I would really weigh my own uh, intentions and goals versus what they actually know. And how, how knowledgeable they are in their own opinion. Because if they're just talking out of their, uh, to keep your kids friendly, if they're talking out of their butt, I don't know. But if you're doing something that's a little more heinous, like, I don't know, like you're selling drugs on a corner, then maybe you should probably listen to your friend. <laughs> yeah, that's the ultimate side hustle. 
but 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 yeah, I, I yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that that's absolutely right, and you should kind of be self-aware of whether what you're doing is um, one, of course, if it's good, but two, also if it's if it's got any future in terms of what you're expecting from it. But but I think on on the flip side, you should probably also consider or think about um, the friend that is giving you this advice, not not just from the expertise point of view, because I think there are a lot of people with expertise in a lot of spaces that still give bad advice. Mm. But but I think more in terms of are, are they an optimist, are they a pessimist, or are they a realist, or or do they always play the devil's advocate, or or are they always overly optimistic? Like if somebody that's always super optimistic comes to me and say what you're doing just doesn't make sense, stop, then I'm probably gonna stop for a while and think about what they were saying. Whereas if a guy that always just that's essentially a naysayer and that just comes to you and whatever idea you you bring out just takes it down and stuff like that then i'd probably just listen and then forget it like the next moment and just go on and hustle even further so (laughs) yeah that's true so i guess you have to surround yourself with the right people in a way would you say so yeah yeah absolutely i think there's this saying that you're the average of the five people that you surround yourself with or something along those lines and uh i and i I absolutely think that's true I, i think there's also I, I forgot which book I read it in, but there was like, if you show me a group of 10 people and one of them is a millionaire and the other ones are poor, then I can tell you who the next poor person is going to be. And like, if you, if you show me a group with nine millionaires and one poor person, then I can show you who the next millionaire is going to be. So, so yeah, I, I think who you surround yourself with, especially when it comes to business and things like this, I, I think it's really important. Mm, that's true. Uh, okay. So let's move on to the next point. Um, so how do you get people to care? So we just covered, you know, how much friends should be involved, if any at all. And then they're they're kind of like the first step to getting your project off the ground. They can definitely help, but they're not going to be the people that will propel your side hustle to a larger scale. Unless you're friends with Bill Gates or something. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess the next question is, you know, how do you get people to care and who should you target exactly if friends aren't going to be it? Well, I, I think the nice thing about the internet is that you can essentially target whoever you want to target based on their interest, right? So if, if you're writing a site about dogs, then you should target people that love dogs or people that want to get a dog or, or, or things like that. Whereas in the past, it was very geographical. Now now you can actually target people based on their interests. So, so I think that's the, the, the amazing thing about what we're doing. The, the audience is just so much greater. Yeah. But um, I think, like you said earlier... Um, what was it the thing that you had? Oh yeah, like I said earlier, no one cares about you; they care about themselves. I think that's true to a very large extent. I, I, I believe that most people are selfish, even even if the selfishness expresses as being not selfish. At, at the very core, I think it's still just them enjoying the fact that they're not selfish. So th- that's like a whole another debate on the nature of human. Yeah, that let's not. <laughs> I, I, guess, I guess, but um. But yeah, assuming no one cares about you, they care about themselves, then the best way to get them to care about what you're doing is to help them with something that they care about, yeah. right? And and I think um, in the case of, again, like I said, we'd be talking about content businesses. So whether it's podcasts, whether it's YouTube, whether it's um, a blog, I, th- I think the number one way you can get somebody to care about you is to produce really, really, really good content. That they're interested in. That they're interested in, exactly. Yeah. Especially if you're like if you're building a niche site or something, and all you care about is people get to your site and click on your affiliate link and uh, buy a product, then I think 
it's not as important. But if you're trying to build a brand that's that, that, that really is a brand, that's not just some website, then I think you really have to care about the quality of the content and things like that. Yeah. So again, the rule that most copywriters or the good copywriters should keep in mind is no one cares about you. They care about themselves. And the whole point is in the, in the case of advertising and marketing, there's already a lot of noise out there, right? So you're already, as, an, as a marketer, you're already at a disadvantage because of how much competition there is. And on top of that, you're also competing with the internal monologue, thoughts, issues, worries, goals, dreams that the person already has in, inside their head. You know, for example, maybe they have back pain. Maybe they have relationship problems. Maybe uh, they really want some ice cream right now. <laughs> maybe they want to go on a vacation. And here you are coming with that dog blog. So to that extent, it's almost understandable why, you know, the dog blog is not is not going to crack through their um, kind of, you could say, the force field around their brain. But if you suddenly write about ice cream and they want ice cream, now in a way you're kind of tapping the conversation or the interest that they already have internally, and they're more likely to uh, listen. Yeah, so so I I think that's absolutely correct. But um, one thing I'd note here is that I think on the internet, it's really easy to find people that care about a certain topic and and be in touch with them, right? So it's easy to reach people that care about the same topic, right? So if, if you write a blog about dogs, then chances are that you're going to be reaching people that care about dogs easily, right? So to, to me, the bigger question is how do you, get from the stage where you are reaching the right people to actually having the people that you are reaching care about your stuff. So, so, it's, so it's kind of like the next stage. Because I, I think on the internet, you're very rarely going to have a case where you're writing, a, again, where you're writing a blog about dogs, but that the people you're reaching actually are people that love cats. Right. Unless, of course, you have like a YouTube channel about dogs with 20,000 subscribers, and then suddenly overnight you just switch to cats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need a case study on this. Yeah, but 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 if you if you're just starting to build your audience, then you can target your audience, your intended audience, pretty well. So, so I think it's more about how do you get people to care about your doc content versus somebody else's doc content. Yeah, but at the same time, you still have to crack through um whatever else the person has on their mind, and you know, because there's a lot there's a lot that's competing for a person's attention. But to go off on that last point, you know. Let's say we're talking about dog blogs. I think we're jumping just ahead a little bit. All right, you decide on a, na- on a niche. You start writing a, a site. But how do people actually reach you, I think, is what someone new to this, a new site hustler, would be wondering like, all right, but all right, I'm, I have some articles and videos about dogs, but how do I get readers? How do you get people to care? How do you get them to find you? I think a prerequisite of all of this is that you should be first and foremost uh, visible on whatever platform you're trying to uh, use, whether it's Google search engine, meaning you have to do SEO, uh, YouTube, meaning you have to optimize your videos and keywords so you can be found for certain search terms. So first and foremost, people, uh, you should be able to be found because if you're not found, then you're not going to exactly tap into anyone that wants to hear from you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you mentioned um, SEO, you mentioned Google there, right? And I think that's that's a really interesting case because... With Google, if you, if you know a bit of SEO and if you target the right keywords and stuff like that, then it's really easy to get people to find you. And essentially, the way people find you is that they look for a solution to a problem that they have, right? So they care about themselves. It's, it's not like they care about you. They care about themselves. They care about, like, um, should I take my dog on a walk 
once a day or twice a day, let's say, that's what I'm trying to figure out, then I only care about myself and my dog, right? And I just happen to stumble upon your website. And I think um, that part is, again, we'd have to go into SEO and how to generate audience and things like that. But um, the, the other part of that is once somebody gets on your website, they're, they're still looking just for the answer to their initial question in, in case of SEO, right? Mm-hmm. So if, if I search for, should I take my dog for a walk once or twice a day, then that's the, ans- that's the answer to the question that I expect to be able to read on the page that I click through. And I think that w- what, what really happens on that page then is what's really important, I think, which is, do the people just read the answer and do they leave? Or do the people just read the answer? But there's also something else that catches their attention that then they essentially start caring about you as well, rather than just about the answer to the question that they had, right? So, so what do you think are some of the things that people can do to kind of take it to the next step once they have the first person on their website? Once somebody cared enough to click through to their website through Google, let's say, um, what, what can they do to then capture the attention and to be able to turn that person into their fan, essentially? Yeah, that's, uh, I guess, the first and foremost thing is every piece of content needs a call to action. Whether it works or not, you still have to tell people, do this or do that. You know, like how you will see in every YouTube uh, video towards the end, they'll say, you know, if you stuck around this long, be sure to hit that like, thumb, whatever it's called, like, comment, and subscribe. Uh, the bell button. Yeah, hit that bell button. Uh, the other thing is like, well, there's a lot of things you could do. Um, you could include free offers. Like, you know, if it's again, if it's a dog blog and they're there to find out how many times a day they should walk their dog. You could uh, upsell them on a free PDF or an ebook on uh, how to walk your dog. I don't know. Or the best kind of walking routes for your dog or I don't know. But something that matches the interest or the solution of whatever the person is searching for and give it away for free. And uh, I say free because free is probably one of the most important words in marketing. Free is what captures people's attention, makes them care. You know, we all like free stuff. Yeah, there's a, I, I was reading about a, a study that was done on this and there's a huge difference in, let, let's say, convert, let's call it the conversion rate, but it was like a real life case study or real life, like a university study sort of thing. So not necessarily related to this, but there was a huge difference between asking people to pay nothing and giving them stuff for free versus asking them to pay like one cent or, or 10 cents for, I think it was like a piece of chocolate or something. Mm-hmm. Whereas the difference between asking people to pay like 10 cents and like 20 cents was almost non-existent. <laughs> the difference between zero and 10 or zero and one and then one and 10 or something. Yeah. There was just a huge gap. And, and like the psychology around free is completely different than the psychology around even one cent whenever it is that people have to take out their credit card or take out their money or or, or, or do something to get what they want. Yeah. To- you know, you'll notice it in a lot of places. For example, you know, when I was getting uh, my internet set up or when I was shopping around, it said like one month free. And I was like, all right, I'll take that because it's just like, it makes it easy for the customer to say yes, you know, if they're weighing their options. And usually they're not, I don't think people are doing it as logically as they are. Like, but by what I mean is no, no one puts on their thinking hat and starts dissecting it piece by piece. So when they hear the word free, it kind of lubricates them to onto the next step. Like, yeah, I want that. Yeah, I think so. And, and interestingly, actually, if I think about it, then um, e- even having to take out your credit card, if something's free, like um, a Netflix free trial or Amazon Prime free trial or whatever, yeah, l- like how many times people forget to 
cancel their sub their subscriptions and then end up paying for years for something that they subscribe for as a free trial. Yeah. Oh, it happens quite a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so if you're listening to this, then you should check your credit card statement every now and then and, and clean up your inactive subscriptions. And don't sign up for free stuff. Well, you can. Yeah, there's, there's no such thing as free in the, at the end of the yeah, day. There's always something being upsold to you at the end of the day. Or in yeah, but, 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 but I think there is such a thing as receiving free value. But, but then it also comes down to how you control yourself rather than what just the person that's trying to sell you at the end of the day is yeah. offering you. So, so I think free trials are great. You can do a lot of stuff with free trials. Yeah, you can give away a free book, but, a free video, a free podcast, a free call, a free t-shirt. Yeah, or, or even just look at, at um, like how, how much of your blogging stuff have you learned from reading articles for free on the internet? Um, hmm, that's a good question. I wish I could track it. I guess I learned quite a bit. I mean, like I, there were times where I'd be looking up HTML on or CSS code on how to change something up or I'd be looking for SEO tips. And I think that's how I learned quite a lot of it based, based on free content per se. So yeah, those are quite valuable ultimately. Yeah. For, for, for me, it's like 99.99% probably. If, if I disregard whatever I learned just by kind of trying stuff on my own and and maybe like talking to you and similar people. But but I guess um, one of the things that I want to say is I, I cared about the content at, the, at that point, right? So let's say I, I search for how to do keyword research and I care about that content, but doesn't mean I necessarily cared about the person. Yeah. Or there, there's, there's blogs that I've been following for like years and years, yet I've never bought any of their stuff. So, so I think getting people to care is just the first step. And then you also got to get people to care enough to, to pay you. And, and, and I guess that for further, you also need some sort of compelling offer. Yeah. One thing you mentioned either, I think a little bit, a little bit earlier on faceless blogs, I think one thing that does help to make people care is uh, not be a faceless blog and actually put yourself out there. So people can, you know, we instantly relate to other humans more so as we would uh, relate with a random blog.com where you can find free tips on how to get free stuff all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the the bloggers that really get people to care are always the bloggers that are a face rather than just a brand. And and you see this a lot in the internet marketing space, but um, you also see it in many other niches. Like you've got mom blogs and you've got um, whatever, you've got pet blogs to stay on the topic. Um, but by the way, we're not sponsored by the American Association of Dog Owners or anything, but... We just happened to pick this example, but um, yeah, I, I think it's yeah always the good, like one of the I guess easiest ways that you can kind of increase the chance that somebody will care about you is just being you, exactly, rather than being some brand. And I, one other big benefit to that is, let's say you do build up an audience, that audience is there because of you, and let's say even if you build a blog around dogs and you have an audience that's interested in you, the character. Now you kind of have an audience um, for when you try to do another project because they're, you know, if someone's interested in your products and they buy from you, they'll probably be interested in what else you're doing. You know, that's, a, that's a really interesting point, I think, because I see a lot of bloggers that are in different spaces. So that let's say mom bloggers and um, travel bloggers and dog bloggers, always starting around their own topic. But then there's a lot of them that also start talking about something else or they start a 
they start a section on the website about how to start a dog blog or how to start a blog in general or about personal finance or, or something that's completely unrelated to what they're doing, but it's still general enough so that essentially their whole audience is potentially interested in it. And I think once you build a solid audience around one concept, then it's a great platform that you can leverage to create another thing in, in, in even completely unrelated things, as long as there's some sort of overlap. Right. And, and I think that's the point where people really care about you rather than about just what you have to offer them Yeah, kind of in the short term. So that's very true. So um, what else uh, can our listeners do to get people to care? So we just talked about free offers, talked about uh, value, like the content has to be valuable, whatever you're giving away. We talked about putting yourself out there and actually being human rather than a faceless blog. <laughs> like like some of mine are. Yeah, some of mine too. And and again, I, I think it, it really depends on the business model as well, right? Like, do you care about people caring about you or do you just want to give people the information they want and do you just want to get some ad revenue in exchange for that? So I, I think it really depends on the business model. Yeah. But, but um, yeah, I think the other thing is to kind of extend on the topic of you just got to be you is um, I think you got to be genuine, right? And there's probably some marketers that um, that would completely disagree with this. And um, like I'm sure you saw those YouTube ads where it's like, oh, hey, I don't want to take a lot of your time, but please listen to me for 30 seconds and I'll teach you how to be rich. And it's like, yeah, sure, you don't want to take my time. All you do is want to take my money. Yeah. Right. So I think those those tactics might work in the short term, but in the long term, they they will just expose you for what you are, which is either a con artist or a snake oil salesman or or, or, or just selling stuff that um, people might want, but but in, in, in a not really genuine way or in a not really nice way. And I think that's not good, especially if you're trying to stay for the long term. Yeah. Because sooner or later, your kind of true nature will pop out, right? Yeah. So, so really, I'd say just being genuine. Like, um, again, if you want to make $10,000 of an online course in a month and then never make any other money ever again, then probably like the way you see a lot of people do it on YouTube where it's like, hey, I've done this and I can teach you that. And if I teach you this, then you'll make $10,000 in half a year working one hour a week or something. You can probably do that, but uh, in two years, nobody will know who you are or nobody will care, right? Whereas if you're genuine, and I think it especially comes to like free offers, like like how many um, companies are offering webinars and things like that, where it's essentially just a sales pitch. Email providers do offer webinars of sorts on teaching you how to use um features but for the most part webinars are kind of tied with hey come in for this free training whereas the free training is ultimately just an upsell to buy my product for 10 bucks and then they upsell you on a bigger product you know in the back end essentially that's how most marketing works it gets you in for cheap or free and it upsells you on something bigger the back end product is what what it's called in marketing terms yeah exactly and um I think I'm not saying there's people that don't do this genuinely, but I'd say most of them are. For, for most, of, most of them treat the webinar as a sales tool rather than as a tool to provide value, right? Mm. I'd say. But but I think if you want to do it in the long term, then I think thinking of it as something that provides value, and then the sales are kind of a byproduct of that versus the other way around is the right way to yeah go about it. You've mentioned people being snake oil salesmen and charlatans, and I think one thing that will definitely help in terms of getting people to care is uh, posting up evidence. I know you've sent me links before of people showing uh, their income reports and how much they make from affiliate marketing and from their blog. And I think that kind of adds credential and evidence and kind of 
is it's you being real and it's you being authentic because if you're selling a here's how to blog course and you're uh, showing your own um, earnings, you're being upfront. I think that will also definitely add to the again that will help people care. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely think so. I think like if, if you're trying to teach people how to make money, then just some sort of proof of how you are making your money. Or in any sort of business, essentially testimonials are big, right? And you also see like a lot of this featured in and like and logos of major newspapers sort of thing. Like like a, a, any proof of the fact that you are kind of recognized within the space or that you know what you're talking about or that what you're doing. I think that's always good to getting people to care about you. Because again, they if, if they care about themselves, then all they care about is to get somebody that knows the best about the problem that they're trying to solve, right? And, and just putting those sort of things in front of them will kind of help you do that. Yeah. Here's another point. Uh, I want to know your take on it. But I think I've discussed this with you and I've also discussed this with my friend who um, I mentioned last time started his own t-shirt and like sticker products. Basically, he turned comic book drawing and he used that to create his own products. And one thing we discussed was like, you know, in the start or at the start or actually for a while, no one really cares about you and people only start caring when you start blowing up. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, that, that, that's, that's a good point too. I think um, put, putting the family and friends aside for, for a minute because I think um, very few people have a network of friends and family large enough to sustain a business, which just by the nature of it means that for your business to be successful, you got to venture essentially out of your friends and family, out of your comfort zone. And when trying to build what was essentially a third-party audience like that, then I think it, it's hard to get the first uh, few followers. And the more followers you get, the easier it gets. It's, it's like a snowball effect, right? Yes. I think it compounds because if nobody knows you, then the, the first person has to find you completely by themselves, right? But then there's people that will find you by themselves, but there's also the one person that can refer you to some other people. And then once you have five followers, then those can refer you to people and also other people can find you. And, and it just kind of stacks on top of each other. So, so just the more, the further you get along, the easier it kind of gets to grow. Yeah, I, I would say. And I think another point to add to this is, it is a sad reality. It's I wouldn't call it sad, but in in some ways maybe it is. But it is the reality that no one will particularly care until you have a lot of work and a lot of talent to show, and which and that takes a while. I think that's the kind of like the ten year trek, you know. Every they say every overnight success is a ten year process. Exactly, I think that's a great point. Actually, I think people, a lot of people, don't care about people unless they're successful. There's a there's again, there's a bias towards success. I think in terms of people caring about what you're it's doing, it's called survivorship bias, where people, it's a, it's how also successful people, well, one time successful people sell themselves, because basically you think like, oh, here's that one person that made it, but the bigger picture is that out of you know, that's that one person that made it out of like, what, a million people that didn't make it. So the statistics aren't in their favor. It's just in some ways it could be luck. So in a way it's a bias, but go on. Yeah, I, I, I see that a lot in like uh, stock investing and things like that, where, where people are like, oh, if Warren Buffett can beat the market by 20% or whatever, then of course it's possible yeah. if I just do my research. It, it's like saying, hey, uh, 100 people jumped into the river and swam across a, a crocodile infested river. And here's this one guy that finally made it. We got to listen to him. Yeah. This reminds me of an anecdote that I saw in one of the books that I was reading. And I, I think it was referring to something that Warren Buffett said. I'm, I'm not hundred percent sure about that, but essentially what he said was if you took like a million monkeys and you had them do a coin flipping contest, 
then one of the monkeys would hit like tails 15 times in a row. <laughs> and then what, what that monkey would do is she, she or he would go out and try to sell his services as the best coin flipper. Yeah. Because he was, was the one out of the million that happened to be lucky enough to <laughs> get the, the 15 tails in a row. So I, I think there's a lot of that in um, online marketing and things like that too. Where a lot of people disregard all the steps that they took and all the potential outcomes that that could have had. And just kind of with the hindsight, they attribute all of their success to just taking those 10 steps or 11 steps. Yeah. Well, just to underline this specific point, listeners, this is called survivorship bias, where you see that one successful example and you think they're, they know what they're talking about, whereas you don't get the bigger picture of like a million other people that failed while they kind of succeeded for reasons that may have been outside of their control. Hence, it's a bias and hence it's a fallacy. Yeah, like if you think about it, like the guy that you mentioned that's been working hard for 10 years and happened to be successful at the at the end of the 10 years, like a 10-year overnight success, like take take another guy that was doing exactly the same thing, just happened to get a completely opposite result, which is perfectly possible, right? Not everybody can be Michael Jordan, even if they practice for like 10 hours a day. Yeah. Then there's still a, um, there's still a lot that you could learn from that person because they took the same journey. I'm sure they had a lot of the same learnings along the way. But you will disregard that person just because they haven't reached the goalpost, even though they've done exactly the same process and they learned essentially exactly the same things along the way. That's true. So to bring it back, how do you get people to care? Uh, again, the sad reality is, whether sad or not, is that it takes a long time. Again, people only care when you're actually good at something and when you have something to show. This actually, I, I thought of, um, I, had, I had an idea in my head. Uh because I write scripts and I, I've still not done the, sh the things that I've promised to do. And I was having a conversation uh, with someone who has a studio and like, it would be really cool if we, we could write a, and shoot a comedy. And he's like, yeah. And like, and ultimately, if the person who has the studio agrees, ultimately, it's still on you to pull in the work. So the fact is that you still have to, you still have to put in the work. Hence, again, going back to that 10 year process. Because ten, you know, well, the metaphorical ten-year process. You still have to put in the work. You still have to show up and get it done. At, at that point, people will start caring when you start getting serious and putting in tangible work in front of you. Yeah. One other thing I can comment on on how to get people to care is uh, having unfair advantage, and that being you have a friend that's actually in a position to help you out. So, in a case like, for example, I have. Two Facebook pages, language related. I have one called, one of them is not language related. It's called just Best Japan Pictures. And I wanted to see if I could grow that page. And I think it's like at 24K likes or 20K likes. And I used a friend's Facebook page who had a lot more likes than me to like kind of cross promote and give me the initial few fans. So one unfair way to grow is like you should have a friend that is in a position to help. Yeah, that, that, yeah, I think that, that's a good way to definitely, that, that's definitely a good way to grow our audience. And I, I wouldn't call it unfair. I, I think that's just smart. I would, well, I, the only reason I say it's unfair is um, whether it's unfair or not. Well, I guess some people would not have access to such a friend, you could say. Yeah, but I, I think then it comes back to, and to, to tie it back into how do you get people to care? Yeah. I think then it comes back to how do you get other people that already have a platform to care about what you have to say and to help you promote yourself? Is it, is it you offer them an affiliate relationship on a great product that you have? Or is it just in interacting with them on Twitter and becoming friends and, and creating those friends? Or 
Like, how do you get those people to care? That's a good point. Um, actually, yeah. Well, one thing, for example, in the, in the, in the on the topic of Facebook pages, one thing I would think of would be like, hey, let's say someone has a hundred k page, you know, with a hundred k fans, and you have like fifty or I don't know, a hundred or a thousand, and you still want to grow yours. One thing you can do would be like, hey, um, would you be able to promote my page? But since you're such a low hanging fruit in a way, they may not be interested in you. But if you offer something of value, be like, hey, I'll pay 25 bucks or 30 bucks or 100 bucks if you promote my page. At that point, you know, people will start listening. Uh, but that's just one example. Essentially, what you're doing there is you're giving them value. Yeah, exactly. Because if, if you just go out and let, let's say I want to start a Facebook page and um, I want to get some followers. But then I go like, oh, I, I can't grow it as large as Yuri can because... He had a friend that had 5,000 followers on his Facebook page already, and he cross-promoted his page. So there's no way I can make a page as successful as Yuri's. Then I don't deserve to make a successful page because I'm just lazy and I'm just making excuses for, for why I couldn't reach the same thing. Now, now, I think there's some level where, like, of course, you can make a Facebook page or whatever it is that you're making as successful as, um, as Bill Gates could or as a president of a country could or something. But I think on, on kind of the... If, it, if it's roughly on the same level, then I think just saying somebody has a friend and you don't is, is just an excuse. Yeah, because you can find ways to offer people value, as in like, you know, paying 25 bucks or 100 bucks for a quick shout out. Whether that works or not is another discussion. Yeah, or, 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 or not even paying. I mean, ju just make friends, make new friends on Twitter or whatever. It's like, like if, if you reach enough people, you're going to get what you want. Yeah, and and at the end of the day, I think that's what business is about. Also, in on the topic of getting, uh, you could say, influential people to care is we've talked about this before on another topic. But having that whole body of work already existing is when people, other people, will start caring. You know, if you come to them and say, "Hey, I have this great idea. Would you be interested in uh, doing it?" Whereas, like, if you have like already a blog of like a thousand articles on that topic and an established audience, and you come to them and say, "Hey, I have this idea." they're more likely to listen to you with that established exactly. body of work. Exactly. And I think to take it back to what you were saying about it gets easier the further you get along because the more successful you are. Like imagine that you're trying to make a podcast that just about interviewing entrepreneurs, right? It's like getting the first one is really hard, but then you can get somebody that's kind of a new entrepreneur or they're just kind of looking to be on a podcast because he enjoys talking about her. You get your first one, then you take the first one and you tell some other person that, Hey, I already interviewed Yuri. Can I interview you as well? And and then it's like a herd mentality in a way where they're more likely to say yes because they're not the first one, right? Now, we I've been talking about content like well, we're, not so much content but more so like blogging, for example. How about people that are doing art whether it's music or images or in or trying to do movies? How would they be able to get people to care? Um what are your thoughts on that? So, so, so we're talking like independent movies sort of thing? Like well, let's say you're either you're an artist, you're drawing pictures, you're drawing comics, or you're producing music, you're a singer, or maybe you're making uh, videos online, like an amateur filmmaker. Uh, he, he, here, I, I think there's two things. One is I think you just got to put things out because I think the first, like pe people care so much about people caring about them and about what people think about them that they just censor everything on their own level, right? So like, let's say I want to be a singer. And I record like 100 songs, but then I only release one because I think the 99 others are just not good enough. But I think the reality is that if you put out 100 songs and 99 of them are crappy and one is good, chances are you don't know which one is good because everybody likes different things and what you think is your best work. 
yeah. others might not care about, whereas what you think is one of your not so good pieces of work, other people actually love, right? So, so I think just by releasing 100 things rather than one, you have higher likelihood of somebody caring because you actually give them a choice, essentially. Yeah, and you have to consistently release. Exactly. And, and the thing is, in one year, nobody will remember 99 songs that are bad, but everybody will remember that one that was really good. And that's all that matters, right? Yeah, that's a very good point. If you put out a lot of piece of work, you know, eventually the good ones kind of rise to the top. And then, then you could tell, you know, which ones are the good ones, which were, were the bad ones. Yeah, exactly. Because I think people always talk about quality versus quantity. Whereas I think in, in the world where like storage is abandoned and uh, like um, you, you can essentially reach people a limited number of times, I think um, the concept of quality through quantity is really something to keep in mind, I think. Yeah. Because essentially the, the good stuff will filter itself out of the bad stuff j- just through the sure community that you build rather than through your own judgment. Right. Yeah. Just a side note. You must have, again, for people to care, you must have a uh, presence on channels like, I don't know, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Snapchat, YouTube, whatever it is, you know, before anything, that's a prerequisite. You should be visible. You should be found. Otherwise, you know, if you keep it locked on your computer and if, if it's not going out, then no one's ever going to see it. But as a prerequisite, just to stress this, it, you should be out there and you should be actively promoting Exactly. So, so one, just to recap, I think one is just quality through quantity. So just put out a lot of content and, and, and let the people decide what they like. Don't, don't just, don't be like the publishing gatekeeper, the traditional publishing gatekeeper, who's just looking at thousand proposals and picks just one. Instead, put out all thousand blog posts, put out all thousand books and let the market decide. I think that's one. And two, I think with something like art, I, I think it's really important to build a community. Right. So, so I think interacting on platforms like Twitter or Instagram and, and things like that, it's probably valuable. But again, I've, I've never done this. So this is just what I think. Yeah. But, but, but I would think it's much more valuable for this sort of like artist to interact on Twitter with other artists, with people that are kind of part of the same culture that he thinks could listen to his songs and things like that compared to, let's say, like a niche set or something. Yeah. Also, don't be afraid to take out an ad because, you know, it's a, if you're not exactly reaching the people that you want to reach right now, then taking out a quick ad, putting out your best content there and asking people to follow you is probably a better way of growing your audience if you're still looking for people to care. Yeah, this is the other thing. I mean, money can always uh, fast track things. And um, if you have some money to invest, then it's probably worth trying some ads and things like that. If not, you can always follow the good old co-promotion model. You ask someone to promote you in return, you promote them. That's another tactic that you can do to build your yeah, audience. Yeah, probably wants to have at least some audience. But but again, if, if you're just starting, I think that the other one, and um, m- m- maybe not the best one during coronavirus, but once this thing is over, just try to get as many lives as possible. And e- even if it's in like the worst bars or in the worst live houses or whatever, just get a lot of lives, just get as many of them as possible, go out there and, and hustle and just slowly kind of build it up from there. Because in the end, if you get a life even in front of like 15 people, that's 15 people that can tell about you to their friends. Yeah. There's one thing that you mentioned earlier. I know I say this a lot, but I guess that's the power of having a discussion is that some you say something and that kind of ticks off another thing in my head. We were talking about authenticity and being the real you in terms of getting people to care. And I think that's incredibly powerful in art because um, essentially good art kind of appeals to the emotional side of us. And that's something you can consider for your art. You know, if you can make it stand for something, if you could 
do some, I, it's, I, this is hard to talk about because this is at which point, not us, we can't tell you how to do it. You have to, it's up to you and how you present it, but everything, every, all the good art, all the good products, art aside, all good products kind of speak to us on an emotional level while we buy into them. For example, uh, I'm a big fan of Gymshark. It's a fitness clothing brand. And because I go to the gym a lot, you know, obviously I see myself as someone that goes to the gym a lot. So I kind of want to wear that stuff and I like their designs, but it appeals to me somewhere deep down on, a, on an emotional level. And I think the same thing goes with music, you know, same thing goes with, um, the images that you produce, the music you produce, the movies, the short skits that you produce, it has to appeal on some sort of emotional level. How you do it, that's up to you. You're the artist. We can't tell you what to do. Yeah, I think that that's a really good point. And I, I think when you're starting out, just, um, and I, I think this is the case with pretty much anything. And I kind of had the same tendency with um, when starting my websites and things like that. But uh, there's a tendency to try to please everyone. But I think you really got to pick your target, right? Because if you're singing love songs then you clearly can be talking to people who are not interested in that at all yeah right so, so i think in the beginning especially and and probably the, the more you grow the more this becomes the case but i think you gotta be i i don't think controversial is the right word but um i think you can be afraid of offending somebody right of course but yeah i wouldn't say it's the matter of offending someone i think it's just a matter of choosing who to focus on you know for example take facebook their first step was to target college users of, of everyone else. And you always want to start with a small target audience. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. They started at Harvard or something, right? Yeah. And, and I, I think that, yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think it kind of ties the doll bag into how do you get people to care? And um, I think probably one of the best ways to get somebody to care is to get their friend to care, right? And, and that's probably also sort of what happened with Harvard. And that's essentially, that's essentially the, the network effect in a way, right? Yeah. Like if I get your friend to care, then he will do the job of me having to get you to care about me for me. Like he'll he'll get you to care rather than me having to make you care. But the overlying concept here was that, you know, you focus on a niche and you take advantage of that for now before you go on. Because, you know, you're mentioning love songs earlier. You know, if you're uh, doing love songs, you're, you probably won't attract anyone that's probably not into love songs. But at the same time, what you do develop with some luck is you develop a rabid fan base for love songs just by the nature of focusing on that one specific topic. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So anything else? Can you think of anything else of how do you get people to care? So before that, I have one last question for you. Go ahead. Do, do people need to care for you to make your side hustle successful? It's a good question. I guess it depends on what kind of line of business you're in. Um, in my case... I do affiliate marketing with my blogs. That's how I monetize them. So if they if they visit the blog, then it means they're looking for a solution. And I provide the affiliate links. And if they like that solution enough, you know, whatever language learning product, if they buy it, I earn a commission. So to that extent, I, I don't know how much care is involved there because uh, I'm not exactly tied to it. Or like my my brand is, my personal brand is not tied to it. As long As long as they found it useful enough, but like, is that caring? I don't know. Yeah, I, th I think that's a it's a good example, and I think it's a good question if that's caring or not. Because I just thought of um, like imagine like restaurants, and, and imagine a like a restaurant that's been in the middle of a in the middle of some city for like hundred years, and people go there because they love Mister whatever Oliver. And, and imagine a drive-through restaurant on like a highway that thousands of cars drive by every day and there's lar it's largely the same cars but there's also new cars but at the end of the day what everybody wants is just 
a hamburger. Or, or essentially what everybody wants is just to get fed on their way from point A to point B, right? To, to me, that's sort of a business where yeah. I don't think people really have to care about you because one, the customers kind of come to you. It, it, it's a captive audience, I guess. Is, is that what you would call it essentially? Yeah. Right? Whereas if you're like the restaurant in the middle of the city center and you want to attract a lot of people to come to you repeatedly and um, there's like 10 other restaurants around, then you really have to get people to care about you and to care about what you're doing. And, and in turn, you also have to be really good at what you're doing. You have to make the best food or, or you have to be known for something. I guess, yeah, it really depends on the line of business that you're in. But, you know, I guess we also picked a very broad topic today because you still have to get someone to care somehow. Because if it's not your customers, then at one point you're going to have to impress investors or mentors, or maybe there's someone that you want to hire. But yeah, I, in that frame of view, it definitely kind of depends on the business itself. Yeah, and I, I guess it really depends on um, what, also what you mean by care and things like that. So it, it's really hard to give any sort of definite answer. But but I think it's just interesting to think about these things, and I'm sure yeah. there are some valuable things. Just Well, thinking about it from the side hustler's perspective, you know, yeah, there are some side hustles that you could do that you don't need uh, immediate friends or family to care about, like starting a dog blog. Ultimately, who you need for that is uh, dog owners that are searching for solutions to their dog problems online is essentially who you should probably target. As opposed to if you're an artist, then you want to, I don't know, promote your work. Let's say you're doing comic books, then you need to target comic lovers of some sort rather than your friends, unless you have a few friends that are into comics as well. So even in the case of side hustles, it also depends. But I think the one, the one, there are only two people in life that will definitely care about your side hustle more than you or probably at the same level as you. And that's probably your mom and your grandma because they're going to love everything that you do. Just listening to what you were saying, um, would you say that um, people caring about what you do matters more in if you're trying to entertain people versus if you're trying to help people solve their problems? Probably in the case of entertainment, um, you need care more than in the case of solutions, unless you want to place your face and be known as the solution guy. Because if someone's like, if someone's in pain, right, they're much more interested in the solution rather than figuring out who they're talking to. They just want to hurry up and fix that. Whereas in the case of like being a brand or doing entertainment, at that point, you probably need to convert people to care a little more. Yeah. And here's another kind of thing that will flip this all on its head to close this off. But um, I, I, I'd even argue, I guess, that um, you, you shouldn't care about people caring about you if you're trying to build a business. You should care about caring about people that you're trying to help. Exactly. You should care about your customer. Yes. Like, like why should a customer care about me? I should be the one caring about customer, right? At the end of the day. Exactly. That's a very valid point. You know, if you, psychologically speaking, who do we like best? We like people that like us. I mean, aside from the people that are similar to us, you know, someone says, Yuri, I think you're great. I'd be like, oh, wow. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, I think you're great too. Yeah. Because I, I think um, like whether it's a blog where you're trying to educate somebody or entertain someone or whether it's a restaurant that's trying to feed people on the highway or whether it's a restaurant that's trying to provide the best uh, whatever, the best hamburger in town. At the end of the day, it has to be the blog that cares about helping the reader. It has to be the um, restaurant that cares about feeding the people on the highway. It has to be the restaurant that cares about producing the best hamburger in town. And the customer is just consuming that. The customer is just consuming whatever it is that you provide. And only once you provide the good thing, then maybe the customer will care enough to return or, or to refer a friend. But 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 at the, at, I think at the very basic level, at first, it has to be you caring about the customer. Yeah. 
or let's bring it down to a side hustle level, not just, you know, restaurants and corporations. But, you know, if you're the artist and someone really likes your work, if you could send them a copy for free or something, that'll really make their day. That's another example. You know, if you're putting out music and uh, someone commented and just following all your stuff, then there's plenty of things you could do to connect with that person, make them, you know, so valued. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even want to call them a fan, but just to make them feel valued. Yeah. And, and, and again, at the end of the day, I think if you think about it, then um, what, what does it mean when people care about you, when people care about your business? It means customer loyalty, right? And how many businesses there are really that, that have real loyal customer bases? I think they're like the vast minority of all the businesses that are out there. Yeah. So I, th- I think it's, it's really hard to get customers to care about you. And it cannot be achieved without you first caring about the customers. Yeah. But we're also kind of uh, going in two different directions here. One is we're kind of on the topic of side hustles. You know, it's, it's always more personal because it's just like one person doing it versus uh, we're, we're giving like examples of corporate and restaurants and big businesses that are clearly not side hustles. I think it's much more important for a person that's uh, doing a side hustle because like they're still on the ground. They're still involved in every single aspect of their project. And chances are it, it's, it is their face on their project. So it essentially is them ent- uh, interacting and engaging with whoever is interested in their work. Yeah. So, so I, I, I think it's definitely different to talk about, like I'm looking at the Coca-Cola bottle on my table. So I think it's definitely different to talk about customer loyalty and stuff like that when it comes to Coca-Cola versus when it comes to your personal blog. But um, I think it's not too different comparing like a restaurant versus like a blog. At the, at the end of the day, one of you is making hamburgers, the other one's making articles. And uh, whoever comes to your restaurant or whoever comes to your blog, there's essentially two things they can do. One, they can come and solve their problem so they can stop being hungry or they can get the information they need. About their or dog? Or two is about their dog. Yeah. Um, shout out to the American Dog Owners Association. But um, so, so there's one thing. They can just go there and... Um, get their needs fulfilled, like whether it's they're hungry or whether it's that they need to solve some problem and they need information on how to solve the problem. Or they can go a step beyond that and they get to your restaurant, they eat your hamburger, and they even forgot that they were hungry before. They just are so amazed by the stuff that you gave them, by the service or by the food itself or whatever, that they just want to return there. Or they just read your article and they solve their problem, but they forget that they just solved their problem. They just they just go around and start looking around your blog and they start reading all your all your archives and they just become a, a fan. So, so I think it's really the same whether we're talking about restaurants or about blogs or about YouTube channels. And, and I think the core question is, do they return? That's a good way to wrap up that part. I guess the next question is, Keishi, how did we get people to quote unquote care about our side hustles? I, I know both of us are very much in a similar uh, position. We both run blogs. We both do affiliate marketing. Yeah, so I, um, honestly, I think for some, some for for the affiliate marketing type of blogs that I run, I, I don't think people necessarily care. I think it just solves their problems, and I get paid in turn for that in affiliate revenue or in, um, in ad revenue. But but um, to to give you an example, like um, I run a tour to Iran for my um, for aviation enthusiasts, and I run one in February 2016 and another one in November. And essentially, the way I got people to care in November was that. The February tour was really good, right? So, so I, t- to me, just um, providing good product, whether that's content, whether that's tour. And then, I- if we're talking on kind of the more general level of how do we get people, then um, the vast majority of my people come from Google. So it, it's more an SEO, but I don't think that necessarily mean people cares. Yeah, let's say let's take your aviation blog for example, because the aviation tour is essentially you're getting strangers from the internet that read your blog, 
and they end up flying over to a certain place to take part in this project that you set up. So that's a big deal. Yeah, so, so there I think it just comes to reputation and, and that, that reputation is just um, one way to build it is just to produce a lot of good content or to be published in magazines or whatever it might be. And then just combining that with a good offer. But with the aviation blog, it is your face and name on there. So essentially you are a figure that they can look towards and read and read from or read about and enjoy your content rather than a nameless blog. Oh yeah, it, it definitely helps. And, and I don't think I could like run a tour if I didn't put my name out there. I mean, like who, who would trust a company that nobody knows? Like, hey. I, I think it's easier to trust the person you don't know rather than a company that you don't know. Yeah, it's like, Especially oh, hey, company. join me, an internet stranger on a flight to Iran. <laughs> that sounds a little suspicious. Not if you're an aviation enthusiast. <laughs> But yeah, in the case of um, the other blogs where we get traffic from Google, I guess in that sense, we have to redefine, well, we have to reframe the meaning of care. And like in that sense, we're essentially doing SEO so people can find us for whatever solutions that they're looking for. Now, it's not that they're particularly caring about us. It's more so we're giving them value, whether they're looking for a flight review or an airport review, or if they're looking for language learning products. And then we, I guess the only way to make them care is by giving them essentially what they're looking for. So in those cases, it's just a matter of giving people value. That's one. The other point is like, you have to be found on Google. I've put in a lot of work towards um, making sure my articles are found on Google and they rank for it. So it's important to actually... Because if no one finds your stuff, then no one's ever going to care in the first place. So that's a prerequisite. So, so I, I think actually the reason I was kind of hesitant to talk about SEO in the first place, um, I just realized that ironically, even though it should be the, the readers that you're serving, I think if you want to build traffic from SEO, from search engines, then you actually have to get Google to care rather than your readers to care. And I don't think these two are necessarily always aligned. Yeah. But the point is you still have to be found somewhere, right? Like if you're not found, if you, you essentially don't exist. And at that point, it's how do you make someone care, read your stuff if you simply can't be found. That. So it's, it's not in that case, we're not really talking about caring. It's just that the prerequisite of caring is that you have to exist somewhere in the first place. You have to be out somewhere in the first place, whether it's on Google, YouTube, TikTok, or I don't know, Twitter. Oh yeah, you, you definitely have to put some efforts into how do people even find me in the first place. Yeah, that, I mean, that I know that's not part of caring, but it's the prerequisite of the next step, which is being cared for or cared about. Yeah, and, and, and that's a good point. Because I think it's easy for the takeaway to be produce the best content ever and people will care. But like you said, if, if you produce the best content ever, but then you don't care about how it appears in the search engines or you don't care about promoting it on Twitter or Instagram or whatever, and nobody comes to your best content, then then really, what's, what's the point? Yeah. So at least in my in the case of my blogs, that's how I build up an audience. And to make them care even further, I have a email opt-in list where if anyone's interested in learning more on, you know, I don't know, language-related stuff, they can sign up for my email lists and receive my emails. That's so just a way to capture them and um, just have them for longer, have them care for longer, I guess you could say. Another example I have is like, I, I know I mentioned earlier, I have two Facebook pages with 20K likes that I don't really put up, put too much work into. But one was one example is Best Japan Pictures. Basically what it was, was I would, <laughs> I would swipe pictures off of like uh, Pinterest. And uh, of course I would, off, I, I would offer credit and say like, this picture comes from this link. And a lot of people, you know, people like looking at pictures online and eventually and pictures also get reshared. So that means you get more fans. So little by little, the pages grew simply by me putting out content. And I'm pretty sure it probably would have grown to a much bigger audience if I 
actively maintained it, but it also did grow with the help of, um, you know, having a friend cross promoted. And then that's how I got my second page up. I think it was like learn Japanese phrases every day. And I cross promoted that on the best Japan's picture and had that also grow to 20K likes. But in this case, it's not so much about um, friends or family caring. It's more about, you know, putting out content and making it found and getting yourself exposed to other audiences and having them convert over to you, which is how I built up those Facebook pages. Yeah, I, I guess um, just comes down to two key things. And one is like you're talking about just getting people to come to your site or to your Facebook page or to your YouTube channel or whatever it might be. And to do that, you need to just do mar- essentially marketing at the end of the day, right? yeah. whether that's SEO or whether that's cross-promoting with your, for your um, friend's Facebook page. And then the second part of it is just put out good stuff, put out good content, create good sell good products at a reasonable price, whatever that might be. And I think once you combine those two, you, you can build a really good side hustle or a business. I know you have a YouTube uh, channel, right? I do. <laughs> I put out like three videos and stuff. So. Did you get any subscribers? I remember uh, you posted up a few, I think it was like a year or two ago. And as usual, you know, people, when you start something new and you announce something new on Facebook, they're, they all press like, oh yeah, congrats, great job. <laughs> I guess maybe that's like a slight example of like care, but then less so caring over a longer period of time. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, I, I, I wouldn't even call it care. I, I'd call it more curiosity <laughs> with, with like a courtesy comment or courtesy like. Yeah. So did you end up growing that channel? No, no. The channel has like three videos or something. Okay. I, I just found it too difficult to create the videos or, or it takes, takes a lot of time and I just decided to spend the time in other ways. Yeah. But I, I'm thinking of starting like a more business oriented sort of YouTube channel. So once that is up, um, I'm sure we can cross promote it here. Yeah. Anytime. Uh, will you be launching it anytime soon? Any ETA? I hope so. I, I like the, the one of the first things that I want to talk about is like a case study of uh, of the of the authority site that I'm building right now. So I'm, I'm not going to be revealing the niche or the URL or anything, just like I haven't done here. But um, I'll be revealing all the detailed numbers, the revenues and your articles and the costs and stuff like that. So it should be interesting stuff. If you're going to be putting out um, like how much you earn and how much work you put in, like essentially a case study, I think with the right audience, the right audience will definitely care. You know, if someone else is, in, is interested in building up uh, an authority site or a website for affiliate marketing, they'll absolutely love this type of content. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, the, the only re- the only reason I decided to and do so is essentially because um, the, the thing that motivated me to build this thing and to build some of my other sites and so on have been similar case studies as well. So I think the more content like this is out there, the more people will at least give it a shot. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's also the purpose of why we're doing this podcast, right? Oh, I thought we were doing this for fun. Hey, we're doing it for fun. But I think if somebody's listening and if it, if it helps um, even one person not, not even succeed with their side hustle, but even if it helps one person to just give it a shot, I think it's already worth it for me. Yeah. So guys, if you uh, find this helpful, please leave this uh, podcast a review. And wherever you saw the link for this podcast, sometimes we post it up on Facebook to see if any of our friends care. For those of you that do, we thank you very much. For those of you that don't, you know, it's it's all cool. We don't really care because, you know, it's, uh, well, you know, you can't really make anyone care for everything. We only have so much care in our day. But, you know, um, if you do enjoy listening to this podcast if you do get some value please definitely leave a comment we love hearing from you absolutely just one closing thought even if you feel like nobody cares just keep going and at the end of the day somebody will care if if your stuff is good enough and if you're promoting your content in a way that people see it or at the very least your mom will always care and that's the most important part Or, or, or just send us the link and we'll care 
even if for just 15 seconds. Yeah. You know what? Here's an offer. We'll, we'll care so much. We'll shout it out in the next episode. You know, you know what's the ironic thing? This way people will know that nobody cares about us. <laughs> if we don't do any shout outs. Well, we can cut that out. <laughs> we, can, we can always cut it out if we don't get any shout outs. Plus, at the same time, you know, um, people don't pay attention that much. People don't care. People won't care, you know, if we don't shout out someone because someone didn't get in contact with us. Because, you know, the whole thing is with these side hustles is it doesn't matter what's going on right now. It's not going to matter what's going on in two years. What matters is like that you're consistent and persistent with it. And uh, it's not about what's going on right now in the first month or in the first again, or in the second month of you doing it because the real results come in like years later on. Yeah, I think that's a great closing thought. Just be patient and be consistent. And if your stuff is good, people will care. And if your stuff is bad, the good news is no one's going to care. And, you know, you won't get the criticism that you expected to receive for it. (laughs) Unless you're putting out something hateful. And then at that point, then, you know, you kind of ask for it. Exactly. So guys, this has been the Side Hustles and Stuff podcast with Kei Shinyuri. If you want to get the notes for today's podcast, go to sidehustlesandstuff.com forward slash E8. And if you are ready to start your own side hustle, definitely go to the notes where we have the link. Um, We're promoting Bluehost. Basically, it's a hosting service where if you actually want to start your blog or website for your own project, if you want to start putting out your ideas into the world, visit the notes, check out Bluehost, set up your site, start publishing content, and finally make it a reality. It's as simple as that sometimes. Yep. So again, guys, Thank you for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Talk to you in the next episode. Do we have any bloopers for this? I think there was like one or two. Well, I just hit my... <laughs> what is it called? The What's it called? What is it? The, oh, the pop filter. That's what it's called. D- did you say anything? After yeah. The, again? I, I, again. Um, wait, what did I say? And everyone has their own babies, in a way. In one way or another. <laughs> that's, that's a good line. <laughs> Boom. Something fell. Okay, let me just finish eating this chip. So guys, this has been the Side Hustles and Stuff podcast with Kei Shinyuri. 